everybody, and welcome to the Project Dreammaker podcast. I'm your host, Stephen R. Burns, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Erin Healy. She is a best-selling author and professional editor, and she has been my editor for 20 years, so that already speaks to her amazing patience. And, you know, if you read anything and there's any bad habits in there, that's, that's not on me. And uh, anyway, <laughs> thrilled to have Aaron with us today. And, and we talk about this all the time. This is for entrepreneurs, it's for artists, for those in the game. And so Aaron, what we wanted to start with was um, you growing up and you were an army and like how it kind of shaped to where you are now. Mm-hmm. And you were an army brat growing up, is that right? Air Force, yeah, Air, Air Force, Force Navy, right. actually. But- Military brat, you can say. Military yeah. brat, okay. Yeah, my father father was an Air Force pilot uh, who made a transfer to the Naval Reserves and became a Navy pilot. So he had an interesting career as a pilot. We moved a lot as a kid. So I was pretty trained through the Southwest. And um, I don't know that that necessarily had a direct impact on my life as a writer and editor. But what did was I had really supportive family. I had, mm. you know, both of my parents, um, a lot of family, friends, teachers, uh, very supportive people who just encouraged me to do the things I was good at. And so I got a lot of positive feedback, writing, learning how to edit, learning how to teach, which is a part of editing. And uh, yeah, those are, my mother also encouraged me to read a lot. She was always buying me books, um, which I uh, devoured, of course. So I was a right. avid reader at a very young age. Right. I, I was I was just going to ask you, because I, I speak to this, too, is is most people sometimes forget the writers come from usually when you're young, you're just avid readers. Right. Like it's sort yeah. of. Yeah, I, well, I wonder if that's changing a little bit. I do think most writers, you have to be a reader to be a really good writer. That's but right. you don't have to be a, a reader to be a really good storyteller. And so I think there are some people who gravitate to story, to film or to audiobooks or to theater or TV drama. or what, There's all kinds of story. Um, it comes in different forms. But yeah, writers are usually readers first. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, if you're of um, a certain vintage, um, <laughs> cue the white, um, th- you know, when, when I was young, um, they just, there weren't all these avenues for storytelling that you have now. Mm-hmm. Like it was, and you, you know, obviously we had television, but it wasn't, you know, 200 cable networks, you know, mm-hmm. looking for story. It was three networks. And, yeah. so, no, some, and I was allowed <laughs> to watch a TV show once a week. It was like a wow. little house on the prairie or, you know, chips, if you remember. Eric I Strata. do. Yes. Yeah. It was like once Poncho. a week we had TV night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that we, we didn't watch a ton either, but books, my yeah. parents would just leave me in a bookstore library for hours. And, yeah. you know, and so that's, so you're right. That, that part has changed. Um, so describe now, I mean, You've written and published uh, what ten or eleven novels, right? Ten, yeah. Ten, and yes. and uh, and now you're also you've been a professional editor, and so you and I go way back because you were you were just starting out. So 
that tell me about what you do now um, as an yeah. ed, like what your your job. So I'm called a developmental editor. So I help, I don't do the copy editing and proofreading, which is a different stage of editing, but I work with writers on the front end of the process, developing their concepts and ideas. And I do it particularly for fiction, which is a really craft driven form of writing. Um, and memoir also has some similarities to fiction. Um, didn't mean that to be a joke, but. But depending on um, who wrote so, it. Yeah, depending on who's writing it. Yeah, it could be fiction. Um, so that's really my focus is helping to teach and to develop craft in storytelling uh, at the 30,000 foot level, the really big picture level of plot and character and theme and setting and, and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, when you and I met, I was just starting as a freelancer, which I've been doing now for 19 years. And I've been editing for almost 30, almost 30 years. Um, wow. So time marches on very fast. <laughs> well, yeah. And, so, and to those to those who are listening, freelancer means it's her business. Right. So this right. is the yeah. uh, this is the entrepreneur part. Just just in case someone exactly. wanted to <laughs> clarify that. And, and yeah. it, now, um, I, I remember when I first contacted you and I had, I had contacted um, a publishing agency that you had worked at and I think you were yeah. still doing some contract work for them and they said um, they said contact um, Aaron Healy and uh, and anyway that that's how we met but you went mm -hmm. from working in a company and then deciding mm -hmm. to <clears throat> go out on your own and yes. it, that's a leap that a lot of entrepreneurs take. I have uh, yeah. another guest that I interviewed um, was an installer for a business. And then he he had collected so much knowledge and information that he ended up starting an installing business. And, and yeah. so now, then he's moved on and now he owns an even bigger company that does that as well. Um, so talk to me about that transition from yeah. Um, working for like as an editor for uh, a company and wh where you were there and and that decision yeah. to start your own business. Absolutely. Yeah, I was a senior editor for a division of Random House and uh, had been there for several years. Um, and a couple things happened. One is I was really overworked. I just had a really heavy workload that was causing some stress. Um, I also had a three-year-old. My oldest child was three at the time, um, when 9-11 happened. And those three things, 9-11, having a three-year-old, having an, an overload, an over, uh, just too much work, um, really started me thinking about my values and how I was spending my time. Um, our our three-year-old started to exhibit signs of stress and both of us, um, his, his dad and I were both working. So, um, I, you know, I started evaluating whether there were other work options that would allow me to work from home. Um, and I was able to leave in part because I was overworked. So by leaving, I said, look, I'll take this work with me, but I'll just work for you on a contractual basis mm. for the next six months rather than as an employee. So that I didn't just leave them high and dry. And they were willing to negotiate with me for that. And so it worked out win-win for, for both of us. Um, I think one of the big obstacles to making a leap like that is there's this notion that 
Um, you're financially secure if you're with a good paying employer and you don't have the risks of instability that you do when you're on your own. And I just don't think that's true. I have had, I was laid off from an employer at one time uh, as an editor and then rehired to another company. Um, but I think we live in a time when you could be laid off at any moment for any reason. It's just not a stable economy, even if you are employed. So I think that's a little bit of a myth that you can kick out of the way. Are there risks to being self-employed? Of course. <laughs> Is it hard? Of course. Do you get paid regularly? No. Um, so you have to take those things into account, but that is probably one of the biggest things that prevents people from making the leap that I just don't think is true. So um, you need to have knowledge of your industry and whether your services are of value and people will pay you for your services. Um, but industry anyway, I don't know, the book publishing industry is not stable. <laughs> it wouldn't be stable whether I worked in-house or I was a freelancer. So you learn to work with those risks. Yeah, I was I was going to say, listen, you're the first person that I've talked to and interviewed here that's actually mentioned that I that, that there is that when you work for an employer and I can I can tell you this as um, someone who has worked for an employer, my day job working with special needs workers. Yeah, that's it's just, you know, one year it's like, well, sorry, we you know, we've had these cuts and and that's it. So we don't actually need anybody. Um, and that that's true of any job. Because there are a lot of people that say the one obstacle is they want that check every two weeks. But depending on your industry, right. you know, and like you it, said, it the does publishing depend on industry. your industry. Yeah. Right. Really like, the, you, like if you're in tech, maybe that's different. Right. Like I have a, yeah, a good friend who's in tech and they like he can he can work wherever. Right. Forever. Like you'll mm -hmm. always have a job um, that although I mean tech would be a great industry to go it on your own too but yeah. if but in the publishing industry it really has been um unstable and you and i have talked about this over the years Aaron. that uh it, as particularly i i don't know when you would frame that but i would i would think going back to the advent of self-publishing or would you push it back even further than that where it really where maybe it's the internet maybe it's all the other forms of storytelling that you talked about yeah. where the book industry itself is you know i don't want to use the term combustible but well it is it is um you know they, and there are a couple of reasons for it i do think the advent of self-publishing began to change the landscape when it became not there was a time when self-publishing had some stigma to it because it was like, oh, those are all the people who can't get published by a traditional house. So there was a perception that self-publishing was substandard. Um, right. What has happened right. in the years since then, though, is that people have learned how to how to master that avenue to um, putting their books in the hands of readers. And there are people who are doing it so well and so successfully that, that now it's like, what do I need a publisher for anyway? So there are, there's a huge shift there. Another shift that happened was simply, this was, this probably predated publishing, um, self-publishing a bit, and that was the rise of the internet 
and social media. And that, um, the effect of that wasn't direct on books, but what it did was it fragmented the marketplace. So the avenues a publisher would use to sell books fell into a thousand tiny pieces. You know, you do direct marketing now. That that was kind of direct mail marketing was this weird thing, you know. Right. Um, and you don't do direct mail marketing anymore, but you do direct Facebook, Facebook ads. Yeah. Or you, you, you do put your book in a bookstore. No, you do direct email marketing, right? Like every entrepreneur knows the email is your yeah. the email list is key. So email I have an email shifting. list. Yeah. That it's, even that though is shifting really fast because millennials aren't on email anymore. You know, they're on the others, Instagram and Snapchat and other so so nothing is constant. TikTok. Yeah. So no. just you constantly have to be flexible and be following trends. And stuff. Um, another, a third really massive um, shift for publishing was the crash in uh, 2008 in the states when the when the um, banks all their all their yeah. loaning, yeah, the, the crash of everything. That was just a terrible financial crisis. Whenever there's an economic crisis, people of course immediately bring in all of their um, their Sorry, my brain. And the, no, the, like the entertainment, the extra, the extra. <laughs> They're disposable the extra. income. Yeah, right, any yeah. disposable income that you have, um, you know, that might have been put into books, it goes somewhere else. Um, we just don't have money to spend on print media. We're buying food. And uh, and so, you know, there, there was that. Um, and of course, you're competing now with all these other forms of storytelling. Who wants to buy a $29 book when you could subscribe to Netflix for $15 a month. You know, it's like the economics of how much entertainment you get. And I'm talking about fiction in particular, but yes, yeah, right. so there's a lot of factors that are swirling around why this and, industry is stable. And, and, yeah, and, and I, I wanna get onto the, to this next yeah. question because you've managed to maintain your business throughout this uh, cavalcade of just like this turbulence. Um, but <clears throat> I did want to speak to anybody out there, particularly artists in terms of the self-publishing because, and, and Aaron would, would, would tell you that this is true is that for many years, I, I fought to, you know, for the traditional, because I first looked at self-publishing and when it first came out, like, to be fair, the, some of the stuff out there was, was really, you know, questionable in terms of the writing and the craft and whatever. This is at the beginning. Um, but <clears throat> the cost that you're talking about, if if uh, someone like a Hugh Howey, for example, who wrote the Wool series and he, he, he's been super successful and his his books are really good. And if and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but if you can if you can market it yourself, that instead of $29, it's 10. Right. And so if you find, if you find a name, like a brand, because what goes on in the bookstore is, is very similar to what goes on in a person's house. Like I love Robert B. Parker. <clears throat> now he passed away in, uh, I think, Oh seven, but I bought all of his stuff. It's just like, if you walk into a bookstore now, you have the Stephen King section, right? You have, you have, what well, I don't know if, what the old saying was, uh, Aaron, the saying was like 5% of authors make 80% of the money, right? You have your oh, James, yeah. Pat yeah. Your James Patterson aisle. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So if you can, I if don't you, know what the exact number is, but very small. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so but you've been successfully doing this, um, working on your own, your own business through all this turbulence. How have you managed to do that over the course of two decades? Mm, boy. Well, simple uh, question, just a simple I question. Know, I don't know if I know the answer. I mean, I would say, well, I just, I work hard, which is true. I do work very hard. Um, I know a lot of people though, who work hard, who don't necessarily um, see the success that they're looking for. For me, I think part of it was that I remained adaptable and I started, I had a great start. I started freelancing with six months of guaranteed work. And so that six month period gave me time to get the word out and to network and like I'm freelancing mm. now and I can take and the other aspect of that was that I knew very specifically what I do. I do a particular type of editing and a particular category of books and I sort of specialized. Um, the other thing that I think has helped is that I have tried to remain adaptable over the course of uncertainty. There's a cycle in book publishing that's separate from this economic instability where they will work only in-house with in-house editors on their projects and they have quality control and they keep it all inside and then their editors burn out and there's too much work and they start farming it out to freelancers and that'll go on for a time and then something will happen where they start pulling it back in-house again so there's this I call ourselves, we're the outhouse editors, out of house and in-house and out and in, and it cycles through. And so I've been able, um, by providing services to independent authors who are either self-publishing or who are not yet represented by an agent and a publisher, serving them with editorial work and um, being able to serve them has helped during dry spells with the traditional publishing houses. Um, so that's been really, that, that has seesawed um, a bit, and that's been really helpful. But I think for me, if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's that I know what I do well, and I stayed in that spot and didn't say, oh, I just have to take anything that comes along. Um, I know what I enjoy doing. I know what I do well. And when you are good at what you do, then people will keep hiring you. So um, I think there are some things I, I don't do very well. People have asked me, oh, would you agent my book? Would you be my agent? Let me just say, I would be the worst agent on planet Earth. <laughs> you would not want me to be your agent. Um, but you know, there was a time when it was tempting to go, should I do that? Because that could be another revenue stream. So that balance that you're looking for between what do I do well, how focused should I be, and how broad should I be to keep my revenue stream broad. I, I don't think there's a science to that. It's a little more of an art and you have to know yourself very well. I would get counsel, you know, on, on how to do that, but make a decision um, and, and don't overextend yourself. Yeah, there's um, <clears throat> like you really two things there that you mentioned that I think are, are really pertinent to entrepreneurs. One is <clears throat> the niche, the more niche your market, the more you can figure out excuse me, what your market is, the more likely you're to, ha to have success because, because you're, you know, people aren't looking for general things. They're like, you know, I, I, I want to write, but I want to write this way in this genre. And I want to, 
you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're more likely if you, if you have that sort of that niche figured out. And the other thing that you said without saying is stay in your lane. And, Mm -hmm. and once, once you know that, then you get better over time too. So, and to anybody who's watching or listening, Aaron is the best. And oh, uh, we had, um, nice. I, I had a friend, Marcus William Kastnich on here. Uh, he was the first episode and he, he went out of his way to talk about like, cause he had gone from basically having nothing. And then within four or five years, it built up a six figure business, but he talked about the importance of mentors and, mm-hmm. and how much that had helped. And then of course I mentioned you because, mm-hmm. because without, without that mentoring, so and for those of you listening, Aaron mentored me as an editor, even though I was, you know, one of her clients and then we became friends for years and years. But that that's the importance of mentorship was was having mm-hmm. someone to say, OK, try this. Now, of course, I still haven't adopted your <clears throat> temperament, which is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which temperament is that, Steve? Your, the, 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 the um, publishing temperament. The like really oh, even one. yeah that one that one I, <laughs> I I'm not gonna mention your Irish the other the, the one where you look like the patience and encouragement mm. the the understanding that the writer is um is that you're not replacing you're not trying to write for them you're not projecting on them you're trying to hear what they have to say and I'm wondering um because I think that's been a big part of your success but let me ask you this what has been the biggest struggle for you Aaron like over the last 20 years or so in doing this has it been the turbulence of the industry I probably not just because I actually have had a really steady flow I've never had such a dry spell where I felt I had to go do a side gig or something um I think my bigger struggle has been learning how to, because my work is a service, I provide services to somebody. I don't sell product. And a lot of times my services are associated with me. It's not like go, don't go hire Aaron's editorial firm. It's go hire Aaron. But so there's a limited amount of me. There's only so many hours in the day. I don't have other employees. Um, And so for me, it has been, how do I turn this service into something that will eventually generate a residual income for me so that I can, as I approach a retirement age, which is going to come really fast, how do I taper it off so I can still have income? Um, that's been a real struggle for me because the, you know, the markets, markets get saturated. There's only room for so many teen werewolf books you know there's only room for so many online video courses there's only room for you know so many um, people trying to sell you something so that that continues to be a challenge for me you know to, to look for the passive income that would eventually allow me to retire because my business this one isn't one i can go sell uh, i don't have a book of business that will right you know that I can sell to somebody someday. So that's been my challenge. Yeah. I mean, you're the the tap and the water. So, right. And the only way people can drink is if they got to use, you know, it's got to go through you and and the work that Mm -hmm. comes with it. And 
I will. And if you want to talk about it at the end, I'm going to give you a chance to do that because I think you have a great idea and a project that you're working on. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let it's me a little nascent. So I probably won't talk about it yet because, you know, it's not a reality. But have me back in a year. And then okay. Talk All right. I will. It'll be a okay. success. I will. <laughs> so, okay. So talk to me then about... Um, was there any kind of helpful advice that you got along the way? Like something when, whether it was your, when you were transitioning to, mm. to owning your own business or maybe in mm. some of the, and for those who are listening, who don't know, Erin has worked with the biggest publishers um, and she has transitioned to, to working with independent authors too. So if you are a, a new young author, you need to, you need to, you need to talk to Erin. So um, I'm on team Erin. So if, but is there, um, was there any kind of advice that, that you received or uh, heard or a book that you read mm -hmm. that, it, that really uh, helped you mm -hmm. through that? All along the way, I think I've just been really, really blessed with lots of voices in my life. They're so positive. And I had a couple mentors when I, I made a transition at one point in my career from editing magazines to editing books. So that's a shift. There was a learning curve associated with it. And I had a couple of editors kind of take me under wing and I sort of shadowed them through editing their books and learned so much from them. One of them in particular, who is stu still a friend of mine today, um, when I, she was a freelancer who was working for the company that I worked for. And my publisher said, go learn from her. She's really good. Um, and when I went freelance, she said to me, do not ever apologize for what you charge. Set your rates and, and let those be your rates and don't apologize for them. That advice has been really helpful to me because I find in this entrepreneurial world, no matter what figure you attach to what you're selling, people will think you're too expensive and people will think you're too cheap. Like there's some indescribable you know you yep. can sell widgets for a million dollars or a buck and the widgets will people will go oh my gosh that's so expensive um and i have found that to be true i have found some people you know i i happen to know my rates are kind of smack center average for the industry um uh, and uh i get people who are like Oh, is that all? You know, and I, th and I think, oh, I could have charged more. <laughs> or others who, go, who don't ever call me again because they learn what I charge and, and either they don't know or it's just out of their budget and they're like, wow, you know, can't do that. And so, so you, yeah, just if you, if you pick a figure that you know is um, relevant in your industry, it reflects your level of experience, it, ex it reflects the quality of your work and you stick with that you don't ever have to apologize for what you do um, this might be a, a female thing this might be a thing that some women struggle with more than men that too I have found where we feel like we need to be doing pe people favors especially when we're in the service industry um, we want to help everybody out and so oh I know that's expensive and I know everybody can't afford that but Money's weird. Money just makes us weird. So yeah. <laughs> that was one piece of advice that really helped me as a business person. Well, I, I, I don't know if it's a if it's a woman thing, but I can tell you that that subject has come up in nearly every interview has it? Okay, that, I've, good. that I've done that 
that pricing, like when I, when I created the, my online course, how to write in 90 minutes, I, I, I struggled so much with what to charge. And, and, yeah. um, and this past week, um, I had a friend call me and he knew somebody that, that needed an editor. Um, and so they, they said, well, you know, it's, um, you know, what, what do you charge for this and that? And I was trying to c come up with it and, 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 yeah because it was something I hadn't done um, before in terms of usually I work with books, you know, fiction or non, but this was like a series of articles. And then I was like, okay, so how do I break this down? And so th that pricing point, yeah, everybody that's literally everybody that's come on the show has said, how do I do? And for me, you know, my online course, you know, Aaron was, and of course, obviously you and I have talked about this, but it's stuff that I did for free for people for over 20 years, right? And you might have to in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. As you're, yeah, and you pay your own dues, you learn, you've got your own learning curve. You, you can't charge a professional fee until you're a professional. And sometimes it takes a little while to get there. Right. Yeah. And if you're, and so, but those 20 years of helping people and then mentoring under you and then mm -hmm. all the writing and stuff yeah. has got to that point. But then, yeah. <laughs> but then now it's like, am I charging? And someone's like, Oh, that's not very much for the course. And then someone else is like, well, that's kind of a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're, if you're upsetting some on both sides, you're in the, I don't know, but that is, that is a consistent on, on this podcast that has been consistent for um, nearly every mm -hmm. entrepreneur I've said is, is trying to figure out what that price point is and not apologizing yeah. for it. And you can make the adjustment. Right, you can go up you and you can go down. You can make the adjustment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you can adjust up as you're, you know, um, if things are, are in high demand, you can adjust just because they're in demand. That's how economics right. work. But right. yeah, you can adjust up or down. And, and this speaks to the, this speaks to what you were saying earlier because I can tell you, like we know when we look at the the, the quote unquote the stable jobs, um, in terms of what inflation. And I live in Toronto, Canada, which is one of the most expensive yeah. cities in the world. You simply can't buy a house here unless unless you're like you have yeah. to be making a ton of money to, to yeah. buy a house in Toronto. It's so expensive. But over the last 10 years, inflation hasn't raised the wages, right? Like of these jobs, yeah, like exactly. the people are making making the same and the price of housing has gone up 150 percent. So but when you're an entrepreneur, if you create the yeah. demand, you can you can you can lift that um i just before we go i just yeah. if someone out there wants to be an editor now they'll never be you i mean i do my best oh yeah. but i you, you, you know you but i i me one day <laughs> that's yeah that's never gonna happen um we, <laughs> like you said it will never happen but I am grasshopper. Um, but uh, that's a very old reference. Um, sorry, kids. You're gonna have to look that up. Um, what advice would you give to someone who either wants to become, like, wants to write or or become an editor? And Aaron, by the way, is a beautiful writer. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I would say you know reading is the most important thing you can do. But then you teach. You have to teach yourself craft um, and I'll just speak to developmental editing because I'm myself I'm not trained to be a copy editor or a proofreader but 
in developmental editing, the biggest job for me has learned that, that um, editing is basically being able to name things, to name story techniques, to name problems, to name solutions. And so you read, um, first you learn to read as, an, as a reader because reading is an emotional experience. And then as an editor, you name the emotional experiences you have reading books. And you, you learn to teach yourself to name why you have these emotions as you read. Um, and that's whether you're reading fiction or nonfiction or self-help or memoir or anything. Um, you know, what is the reason I feel confused right now as I'm reading this manuscript? And then you go back and you identify all of the things that are causing confusion, and then you learn um, how to fix them. And the only, it's so intuitive, you know, there are some, some editorial courses, like if you were to go through um, New York University, used to have some, I don't know if they still do, with the pandemic, anything might be right now. Um, but for the most part, there, you know, you don't go get a master's in editing at most places. No. Um, it's, it's something that is mostly self-taught. Um, it's best for readers who are really intuitive and creative. And if you're more analytical, um, you might be a better, say, copy editor than, uh, not analytical, that's not what I meant to say. Um, developmental editors are very analytical, but more, more mechanically minded, more mathematically minded, right. about knowing what all the rules are, um, then you might be better as a copy editor, a proofreader type. Right. Um, so, you know, it doesn't sound very helpful to say, well, just go teach yourself. But apart from taking any job at all in the communications field, that requires you to turn a written piece of material into something that is easily understood by the people who are going to read it. Um, you know, that training happens, it's sink or swim, it's on the job, it's, it's while you're running. And you just have to dive in and do it. I think most editors have an intuitive sense already that they're good at that. They can name things easily. Um, so I hope that's helpful. It sounds really vague. No, <laughs> I, I no, and I, 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 I just, I think, I think you're right. I think it's definitely more intuitive if we're doing like the Myers-Briggs uh, test, the personality oh, test, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they determine whether something is sensory or intuitive. So if people um, who are listening or watching mm -hmm. have never taken it, I had to take it in grad school for a leadership course. And so what they do is, is they show you a picture, right? And they say, describe the picture. And, and a, you know, whatever you think of personality tests, but if you're sensory oriented, you can describe exactly like, say it's like a turtle and, you know, like it's like a cartoon, right? Picture of a turtle and a frog, like whatever. And you could say the turtle is wearing purple pants. The frog is where is green with a hint of blah, blah, blah. And the people who are intuitive are like, well, the turtle is actually upset at the frog. Right. And and so that that I, I don't know, remember what they're wearing, but man, he looks pissed. And so <laughs> um, yeah. and so that's like a like that's reductionism. But it's a but I also would yeah. say that if you're an if you want to be an editor, you kind of I like I I don't know how you do that without mentorship. You can be intuitive. Mm. And I think it 
I don't know if you can, do, do you know any editors that are not writers or that, that can't write well? Yeah, not all, not all editors are writers. I mean, most of them have very good writing skills. They have very good communication skills, just like um, not all writers make good editors. But there is, you know, if it's a Venn diagram, which I know is your favorite diagram, Steve. It is, it is. There's a lot of over overlap between the editing and writing circles. Yes, they come, they come close together. I think you know, for editing, what you're, what an editor is, is this bridge between the written word and then the the received or perceived word. So you take your job is to be able to identify a writer's intentions. What is the purpose of this writing? What are they attempting to say? and be able to understand why or how readers will receive it. Um, and you're trying to close that gap between these two parties, the writer and the reader. Um, so, so that's why it's so important that you, you know, be able to, this, this is why I tell people when you're reading a book and you hate the book, if you want to be an editor, you stop and you say, why do I hate this book? What is it? And you figure it out and you name it. Um, now, some, sometimes it's just a personal opinion, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it has to do with the delivery. So I could talk about this all day. Yeah, so, so could I. So could I. Yeah, so I will, we'll, 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 um, <laughs> this is, it gets really, it gets really, um, for those of us, it gets really, uh, geeky and a little bit nerdy and super fun for yeah. Aaron and I sometimes to break this shit down. So, but I, I just wanted to say, this is. We're going to wrap up now, um, but I wanted to tell you how much I, I loved having you on the show. And I definitely want to have you on next year because I love your idea. Uh, I think it would be okay. awesome for some some young writers out there. Um, I will put your links down below on the YouTube channel um, yes. and they can find anybody can find you for those who are listening to this podcast. Um, it's uh, is it WW dot www dot at no w what is what's your link what's your <laughs> it's link? it's aaronhealyedits.com oh right okay aaronhealyedits.com i was super close um with the www aaronhealyedits.com all right all right, Aaron, listen, thanks so much. And for those of you listening and for those of you watching on YouTube, I do have a free gift for you down below. Just go to my website. Um, you'll get there. will be a pop up and let me know where to send it. I can send you guys all kinds of free information. There's also a Writing Life Academy on this channel. And I have a new uh, bit coming out every Friday called The Burns Perspective, which I will explain why it's called that. Um, it's a little nod to my, my love of noir. But uh, thank you guys so much for spending time with us today. Aaron, thanks again for being here. And until we see you guys next time, take care. Bye-bye.